Today's show is brought to you by Coin Gaming and Permission.io. We'll hear more about those later on in the episode. What's up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening to Untold Stories. I'm joined today with Ethan Buckman. Ethan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Happy to be here. You're the, oh my God, you've been around the space for a long time. You were the co-founder of the Cosmos Project and Tendermint. Uh, it's like a, it's like a name stay in crypto nowadays. It's like saying Bitcoin or Ethereum, you know? Um, <laughs> and now you're the vice president of the Interchain, the Interchain Foundation. And I have some questions about that. You talk about, um, you know, I've just from my research and doing in, in blogs and things like that, you really talk about promoting like social cohesion and, and bringing everyone together. And we briefly talked about things like uh, very quickly, like how uh, governments assume that we're not smart and that they have to like be looking out for us. And I kind of wanted to talk about that for a second. Um, for those who don't know, this is Untold Stories, where I dive deep with crypto's most influential leaders, past, present, and future, to find out how this movement really, really came to be. The show is powered and uh, run by Blockworks Group, a media production company with over 20 podcasts in their network, including mine. Make sure you check them out at blockworksgroup.io and send me emails, give me suggestions of topics, questions, guests, ideas, thoughts. I love it. And make sure you watch this on YouTube and audio. Tell me, tell me like, uh, have you found kind of like that, uh, social experiment that you want to spend the rest of your life? So, uh, theorizing and looking into and, and understanding and evolving and like, have you found that, that thing that you've looked out and, and studied for a very long time and, and for the future, that's what you're going to be studying. I think so. Um, you know, crypto is like a current, current tool set, current technology, you know, it's a means to an end. I'm not sure it's an end in itself. Um, I think what, what's exciting about crypto is it's sort of revitalizing political economics. Um, you know, the economics profession of politics a long time ago when it tried to become a serious quote unquote, serious mathematical science. Um, and that was to everyone's, I think, uh, I think everyone has, uh, has been impacted negatively by that sort of globally. And, and one of the exciting things about the cryptocurrency space is that it's really bringing back that sense that, you know, economics is actually uh, very much a political domain. We need to think about the organizations of people. We need to think about institutions. We need to think about the social contracts that actually enable markets to exist. You can't just have markets independent of laws and legal systems and institutions upholding them. And so, you know, there's this massive experiment happening in how can we design those institutions from scratch, how can we sort of reinvent governance and finance and, and economics? And that um, is incredibly exciting. But to me, it's in service of this larger goal of how do we actually uh, drive towards a more sustainable um, society sort of from, from the bottom up. So, uh, yeah, I'm enthralled. <laughs> what type? Well, so this is where I like made my first mistake in Bitcoin and, and crypto early on is that I didn't realize that there are all these like social and economic contracts that exist in the markets and it makes the market work, right? Like I was listening to a farmer on the radio the other day and he, oh, not on the radio, on a, a, a movie trailer. And he's like, the line was, I'm just a farmer trying to make a dollar change from one pocket to another. And I said, so, so there's like a, so, there's like a social contract in that, like going back to thousands of years, uh, getting into crypto now and, and Bitcoin, uh, now we have this like huge, and especially with the DeFi world, we have a lot of craziness going on. 
in this experimentation wild west. And I fear that without some of these like uh, social contracts that uh, we saw that came out in the wash over the years that people will get hurt or whatever. And I'm talking yeah. about like, um, I'm talking about not like crazy things like fraud or whatever, but more of uh, the taking the social, the idea of experimentation and hypothesizing and then using that to try to convince people to put money into some whatever. And then that ends up being like a scam or whatever, like saying, hey, I understand how sushi swap and other ones are experimentation and we're like, we're learning different things about how the world works. But that's, I mean, what do you think about that? Am I being like too much of like an old man yelling at the TV? No, I'm, I'm, I'm a moderately old man yelling at the TV too. So <laughs> if I would be there. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's like the longer you're in the space, the more jaded you get? Maybe a little bit. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I'd say I'm jaded. We certainly do see some of that. Like, you know, there's a lot of folks that they see everything and it's like, oh, there's nothing new under the sun. We've been talking about this on, you know, Bitcoin talk for, you know, the last 10 years or whatever. And this is just that and X is just Y. Um, and I guess a lot of that sort of like academic discourse dismisses the actual work involved in going to market, like in actually deploying something and building a community around it. Um, and what's, you know, what's, crazy and exciting about DeFi is that that's happening at a pace that's sort of probably never been witnessed before, that you can actually write a financial program, deploy it to the internet, build a community around it and like, you know, have people care um, very rapidly and then have the whole thing fail, you know, within a few days, like it keeps happening where like, I'll go on a canoe trip or something and I'll come back. And in the span of like being away for three days, like sushi shop, sushi swap was like created and destroyed or like a yam contract was, you know, oh, created. Yeah. like it's amazing the pace at, at which this stuff is happening. So, um, yes, people are, people are getting hurt. We have to understand that it's like very much ex an experiment. Um, and it's, it's important to be able to experiment, but you know, what I'm interested in is what, what is the trajectory to actually turning these experiments into, uh, you know, load bearing components, responsibly load bearing components of societal infrastructure. Oh, that's a great, that's a great quote. How do we make crypto responsible load bearing like infrastructure in our world? You're saying, right? Like we have, we're talking about crypto taking over our, our financial systems, our, all these infrastructure that we've been using for a hundred years or whatever. If we want to replace that with something blockchain or crypto based as I was experimenting now, we need to, you're saying we need to be like a lot more mature. Like what is that? You, you mentioned it's, it's not like an end where like, it's like a journey. And I agree with that. We're on this, this journey. So what does that look like? Not like the end of the journey, but what else do we need? Do you think like, how do we need to mature and, and continue to grow? We need to get real about working with existing um, social and political institutions, right? Like there's a very strong sort of you know, animosity to existing legacy institutions. And it's like, oh, we can just recreate everything from scratch in our little Ethereum world computer cloud and, and that'll be great. Um, and that's, that's fine for experimenting and, and potentially necessary for experimenting, but to actually sort of connect it back down to the real world and, and real people and have it have this matter um, and actually start to change things, you need to be working with existing institutions and with their stakeholders and, you know, um, empower them to sort of take ownership over, over these platforms and, and over sort of the infrastructure you're building for them. Do you so think that's a, that, that's a long, very long journey that's maybe just starting. Where, what does that, uh, what does that like look like down the road? I mean, so you're, uh, and, and then kind of answer that with uh, why you started 
uh, you know, why you came into the space and, and why you started uh, Tendermint and, and with the group of people that you did. And uh, sure. were, were you like trying to prove a, a, an experiment? Were you uh, just trying to like make some money, get your feet wet? Or were you just like me, just like, you don't care about and you just want to get in this space and do whatever you could? I guess, uh, so I got into this, so I was studying uh, biophysics before I was sort of caring about political economics, I guess. Um, and I was like fascinated by this problem of the origin of life, but I was thinking about it, you know, due to a few books I had read and, and sort of, you know, my, my influences thinking about organisms in terms of sustainability and sort of the organism as the, uh, the fundamental, like sustainable system, um, and, and trying to understand sort of, you know, in a world that's allegedly always running down according to the second law of thermodynamics and all this sort of like nihilism that emerges from this materialist view of physics you know, how do we have systems like organisms, like forests, like human beings and societies that actually seem to run up and you have this like amazing emergent complexity. Not only do you have the emergent complexity, but it's sustainable, right? Like, you know, when you're smoking a cigarette or you're looking at the steam coming out of your coffee, there's like this, these beautiful patterns, but they rapidly dissipate, right? And there's something about life that you get these beautiful patterns and they persist. And, and so I was, you know, just utterly fascinated with that. And first starting to think about what it could mean for society. But I was very naive and I didn't really know anything about economics. Uh, and then roughly around 2013, sort of really got, uh, tried to pay attention to this Bitcoin thing um, because I had started learning about economics and realizing, you know, the financial system's a sham and it's sort of, um, you know, rigged against the little guy and, and you know, you could potentially uh, restructure things that with by getting rid of all all kinds of red tape and regulation and you know sort of sort of becoming you know in your early 20s it's like very common to be uh, enamored by free market idealism and uh, and libertarianism and so on so that obviously happened to me um and and bitcoin came along and i sort of dove down that hole i was like oh this is how we can actually do it this is how we can like stick it to the man and fight the power and this is sort of you know open source kind of uh you know the climax of of the open source community um and over the years that my sort of understanding of that has really grown to be like okay this is actually a tool we can use to help create sustainable digital life forms in a sense, right? That we can sort of leverage the, um, you know, the, the mechanism design and the sort of cohesion that these protocols enable to build more sustainable online digital communities, right? And to actually bring the, you know, to bring our um, social infrastructure in, into sort of the next century. We, we talk uh, about like social infrastructure and social contracts, like, and the perfect type of community, digital community. Uh, looking at like a second life or the ones of the past 10 years, what are they missing? Is there like a core component? Is it a centralization thing? What, what's the no, issue? I think, I think they're missing uh, ecology. Uh, uh, what do you I mean by that? I mean, we are physical beings on a physical planet powered by the sun. We need to, you know, collect food and water, bring it to our physical bodies and consume it. Um, we need to collect our waste. Oh my God. Did you responsibly? Did you ever see the upload TV show? No. Okay. So the, the, here's, I, dude, you're brilliant because in the, the, the show upload and, and for those who watch the show or know exactly what I'm talking about, there's a scene where, well, so basically uploads about uploading our digital brain into this like, uh, into this like simulated heaven, right? Okay. In the future. And they, the simulated heaven mimics 100% of earth life but the computer the, the computers and not the computers the uh the engineers and the models and everything they couldn't predict how things would play out until people were actually in like living in this you know real people that who have just died and right. where they don't think that they've died they they're just continuing to live 
So the first week, everyone died. Everyone killed themselves the first week because they forgot to make people have the ability to shit. Right. And when you when you're and eat. So when you remove the when you remove the need to collect food and to eat and then to poop, yeah. everyone just killed themselves after the first week. It was like, what's the meaning of life? Right. How crazy so is that? No, I think I think that's spot on. Um, that's exactly right. Like uh, these things that like I'm very much, you know, a lot of a lot of people in tech think like, oh, we should just upload our consciousness into this, you know, singularity thing, and uh, we should all live forever and all this. Like, no, I'm not really signed up for that. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Yeah, me me neither. Um, and it, it it can be hard to convince people because you know you're coming with very different worldviews. But I think so this is some- an interesting like topic that we're getting into because. Uh, I got into like I grew up in a very religious community and I uh, and then I I left, you know, like the whole wandering Jew thing to explore and to learn my own, find my own way, you know, around life. Um, but you said like you were studying the the origin of life. Why? Why? Were you, what do you mean? Like we all think about that. But what do you mean by you were studying that earlier? I'm, I'm curious. Like my uh, so my undergrad was in, um, you know, I was, I was taking courses in biology and physics. Um, I was uh, initially sort of fascinated with the nervous system and, you know, was on a trajectory to be, you know, a professor in neuroscience or something. But I kind of, I would go, I would sit in these classes, like, you know, molecular biology and biochemistry. And I was just stunned by the the beauty of it. And like, I would, I would tell people like, you know, I, I grew up Jewish as well and have had my own sort mm. of back and forth relationship with the religion, but I'd sit in these classes and I was like, this is, this is religious education for me. Like, this is how God works you know, part one, part two, whatever. Uh, and, and so I just became completely enchanted with like the molecular underpinnings of life and this like dance that, you know, this huge array of molecules are doing in ourselves and the, the but obviously there are so many unanswered questions right now. And in order for you to like go down that rabbit hole, you have to be comfortable with the fact that you won't have answers to everything. And that's honestly where religion came from. Religion decided sure. to fill these gaps with faith, you know, sure. You can't understand this because if you could, you know, the, the, if you could understand the origin of life, then you could be God himself. Therefore you can never be God. So you can never understand it. Be happy with that. Please give a donation to the synagogue at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. So, like that. I mean, I remember, so when I was an undergrad, you know, they have these, uh, some of the universities have this program where uh, this like Chabad program or something where, you know, they'll pay the students to actually sit with a rabbi once a week. Right. And so, I, I sort of took them up on this. I was interested in learning, um, you know, more about, about the religion and, and so on. So I had a good relationship with the rabbi. And at the time I was, you know, working in a biology lab and I would get to like sit on a microscope, a fluorescent microscope and watch cells like actually divide mitosis, like in real time before my eyes. And this was the most amazing oh, thing. Oh, so you're like, yeah, you're one end and then the other end. And so one time I brought the rabbi in, right? We've been talking <laughs> about evolution. I brought him in and I was like, see, look, science. And he was like, no, 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 look. That's God. <laughs> but, but, I, uh, but I do understand that because it, it is hard to not look at these things and say, like, there must be a higher power that created this beauty. Right. Like that is one thing that I've not been able to come to terms with. It's like uh, you, know, you talk about the origin and this is like a crazy conversation that we're going into, not crypto at all. But this is fuck it. This is better. Like. <laughs> I know this is, we can, we'll, we'll bring it all back guys. I promise to my listen, my editors are like, Charlie, this is a crypto show. We have crypto sponsors. I promise <laughs> I'm bringing it back. Um, we'll bring it back because, well, but well, the re- the reason I'm asking is because a lot of these connections that we're talking about and like, uh, these 
social contracts, when people think of social contracts, they think of like a centralized party that is enforcing this contract. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about when there's like a uh, an agreement between everyone who's in the system itself. And while there's no rule or law to break the system, there's a, an incentive for the system to continue to exist by everyone a part of the system. And that's Bitcoin, that's crypto. So the reason I'm curious about this is like, is there a way to take that same type of like, uh, these like decentralized social contracts and bring them into the real world of today for things like like voting, right? Like, how do you do that? I mean, I think that it's it's amazing to look around and see where they exist today, and the you know the because they do exist. And the pandemic is like this amazing demonstration of our ability to rapidly roll out a new social contract, right? Where a year ago, you know, if I if we were hanging out, you and I might be two feet away from each other having a conversation. Oh, now on con, you know, like it's like habit to now not get closer than six feet, right? Well, and we'll create this extra distance. And there's no, you know, really concrete law forcing that. It was all sort of rolled out very rapidly, this like new understanding that this is the reality and, and this is the sort of social contract we have to we have to respect. That's, that's a great example. There's that famous uh I've been talking about sportsbet.io and their clubhouse, which is a huge community. When you play, when you make a bet, when you do a spin, they pay you with free hands, cash back and bets. You can play all sorts of games and they've been doing this for so long in a free, fair and transparent way on the blockchain. Well, that's not why I'm excited today and why I'm talking to you about this. Because now they're taking this community to the next level by sponsoring the Southampton Football Club. You're talking about millions of British football fans can now see the Bitcoin logo on the front and the sleeve of also the Walford Football Club. I mean, how amazing is that? You're talking about not sponsoring your company. You're talking about sponsoring Bitcoin and crypto. Millions of people around the world are now going to be seeing this and joining the sportsbet.io clubhouse to earn more points, to play games, and to be part of that community. There's really no other way that you can use and spend your crypto and then actually earn more back and be part of this whole community. So listen, make sure you guys join sportsbet.io forward slash podcast. Give them the support that they deserve because they're supporting us and me. Go play some games, get some free hands, get some free spins, and make sure you check them out and support them on the Southampton Football Club's first game. Whenever that's going to be, check it out. Of like the spitter, the guy who spits, like the guy, it, uh, you know, like TV shows take our lives and put them into, you know, like TV. And then we watched like, so if you want to see what the world was like in the 1960s, watch TV shows from the 1960s or whatever. Uh, there's that episode of Seinfeld where uh, uh, it was about a guy and we all have this person or a girl or whatever who stands too close to you and is constantly spitting on you. If that si if Seinfeld was recreated today, that episode would probably never be created. Right. Isn't that a crazy thing to think about? Mind blowing. Yeah. And the shit you learn on untold stories. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly right. So, 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 but, there, but, but yeah, so to continue that point and sort of connect back to crypto, you know, there's a similar thing with with money, right? Like uh, through most of human history, it was not the norm for there only to be a single source of money, right? It was not the norm to trust only one uh, one kind of currency at the expense of all others. There's obviously always, you know, the the particular coin from the the king that you yeah. know, your jurisdiction with it, with his head on the stamp or whatever, but there were always, 
you know, at least for the last couple thousand years, other other coins and other denominations, and people would have to sort of think in this more like multivalence, you know, domain. Um, and we have sort of somehow reduced that over over you know the last couple hundred years, the last hundred years, I guess, especially to, for people to think, okay, there's only one money; it's their local money, and unless they're like a forex trader or like a very heavy international traveler. You know, they only operate with one kind of money, and that's sort of you know the social contract, and, and that's the money everyone accepts, right? But um, again, the pandemic may offer an opportunity to start to break that up again, as we're seeing the economy like extremely stressed, and these governments, you know, rapidly rolling out uh, UBI, which was like politically controversial before, but now every government has pretty much had to figure out a way to pay all of its citizens because everyone's you know unemployed, and and we're in. That's crisis. how they justify printing money, though. Sure. That, uh, currently, they're using this like old approach to doing it, which is that they print money at the central bank level, and then you know the government goes into debt and distributes whatever it wants. But that's that's starting to be stretched, and they, I think, sort of know that there's something wrong with it. You know, they or they pretend they know there's because something our banks wrong. suck. That's the problem. Like, how cool would it be if my city can issue like can 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 print its own credit or something? Like, there's got to be other what. Well, that's exactly what I'm trying to get at, right? That like the social contract can start to shift, especially under the conditions of something like the pandemic, to you know open up the idea that actually there can and should be multiple forms of money, and that they should be issued more locally and more representative, more representative of you know local needs uh, and local sort of trade flows, and that the cities could issue them, um, you know, would be a really interesting way to start, or more sort of local, um, local kind of cooperative unions, credit unions, stuff like that, where you have groups of businesses that are like, look. I have needs, uh, and and you have, you know, I have excess wants, and you have excess resources. Uh, but this lack of liquidity, this lack of like access to the the money everyone agrees is the only money, is the only thing inhibiting us from trading, right? And so, as as more and more people come to confront that, you know, that coincidence of wants and the lack of of the of the the monetary unit, mm. um, there will be this very heavy demand to actually create new ones and enable people to create new ones at a local level. And that's you, where I You see. really think so? That's a very interesting uh, uh, theory. Yeah. I think so too. But how would it work? Because you're going to see a lot of regulatory backlash. I mean, you can't just, just because there's a pandemic, it's now like you're going to have people flipping out about changing all these different things. And so what we've been, people ask like, why, why if, you, if you have to look at one reason why various states, right? Like, or governments handled their, you know, this pandemic a certain way. So the simple answer is, is because they looked for solutions within a, a construct that simply doesn't work anymore. Sure. Definitely. And as we've seen with the past, uh, I mean, the simple fact of like mailing checks out to people, like how antiquated is that? Like, what's the cost of that? Uh, yeah. So that like, that should be the symbolic of the world that we live in. So what's the interchain foundation and, and, and how did you bring, you know, why did you use that kind of to bring this all together? Right. So, um, so that sort of goes back to the Interchain Foundation was the, the nonprofit we set up to raise money to fund development for uh, the Cosmos Network. Um, and so, you know, sort of, I guess, going back to the earlier thread of, you know, me getting into, into Bitcoin and seeing, um, you know, seeing these protocols as a way to build uh, a new social institutions and enable people to sort of cooperate. Um, and, and trust each other and agree on sort of new new forms of value. Um, we sort of we hit on this, you know, one of the underlying um, visions and, and sort of values of of the Cosmos 
network system that we had sort of, you know, uh, conjured up in, in 2016, Jay and I, after having worked together for about a year and a half or so, um, was this notion of, of sort of, of sovereignty that, you know, we didn't want, you know, we very much disagreed with the world computer vision of Ethereum. The, the idea with Ethereum was that we would build a perfect system that would be able to compute all of the world's, you know, handle all the world's computing needs on one Ethereum mega global computer, right? And we were sort of like, no, you're never going to be able to capture all the needs of everyone in this one sort of technological artifact. What we need to do is enable ways for people to create their own blockchains, their own sort of application-specific infrastructure uh, that they can retain sovereignty over and yet still enable those different things to interoperate. And so it was about sovereignty plus interoperability, right? Um, and that that's sort of the the trajectory we've seen over over history over the course of the last you know few thousand years, culminating in the invention of the nation states, which was like you know we're no longer satisfied to all be part of like some single global empire. We want local sovereignty, but we still want to interoperate with other countries and have trade deals and and travel and and so on, right? And so uh, and and that's probably happening further even within our countries. We're starting to see these you know, these, these splits and, you know, massive uh, political polarization, which could potentially be resolved by enabling greater sovereignty at a local level, but still trying to retain interoperability. And so that was really the drive behind Cosmos was to enable, you know, sovereign, independent, application-specific blockchains that could still operate, uh, interoperate with one another through an interoperability protocol that we call IBC. So the, interchain so the Interchain Foundation was the nonprofit we set up to sort of help uh, realize that vision. When when Cosmos was first theorized, uh, there was a lot of like uh, not a lot, but there was backlash for anything that wasn't Bitcoin at the time, especially Ethereum. So you take something like Bitcoin that was one chain to do one thing, right? Like one chain to do one thing really really well and done. Then you have Ethereum that says we want to do one chain, do everything, right? And then obviously no one told Vitalik the uh, the butter. The uh, economic theory of having too much, too little cream cheese on your bagel. Um, that's that was like the first economic theory I ever learned was when you go to Starbucks and they give you a bagel, you have to ask for two cream cheese. So it's the point is it's like if you don't have enough cream cheese to spread on one bagel, it ruins the whole bagel. So if you have one chain trying to do everything shitty, it's right. it's worse than doing one thing really really well. That's my bagel economic theory. I'm trying to get textbooks to. Give me that. Integrate <laughs> the bagel theory. If I could just get the bagel Start theory to be in textbooks, I might like. I could finally call myself an economist if that happens. Like, right. you need that. Like, I could have as many degrees as I want, or talk. We could talk for thousands of, of days or whatever. But they need to get like coined like a like a law or like a theory or something like that. Maybe one day. Um, but so Cosmos was a. Uh, um, so now you have the so the third thing is like now you have okay a lot of chains doing a lot of things, uh, but then they all work together. Yeah. Now for them all to work together, you need to have almost like all these endpoints uh, have the ability to, like to it might kind of sit like to talk to each other right. So if you have all these different chains and these different blockchains that operate on different, uh, they operate completely different you know on its on its base thing like how. Uh, uh, you know, inputs and outputs are even done, you know, Bitcoin versus Ethereum. It's completely different when you, and, sure. and you, you take that. How do you make sure they all work together is my question. Like, how do you make sure you all work together without creating a centralized like standard? Well, you create a centralized standard, <laughs> 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 which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's exactly, no, no, no. If you don't want to be part of it, don't be part of it. Right. I mean, it's exactly what happened to the internet, right? Like 
you could look at Ethereum as the mainframe vision, right? The idea that there's going to be one global mainframe that's going to process all the world's computations. It'll live in you know a data center somewhere, and that's it. And obviously, that didn't pan out as the vision because you know there were there were demands for you know different kinds of architecture, experimentation, other technologies. People wanted you know more control over the over the infrastructure and so on. And so we split up the mainframe into you know billions of individual devices, personal computers, mobile phones, whatever. We wanted efficiency too. And efficiency, that's right, yeah. And you can now connect them all over the internet using TCP, right? They've all agreed. They all handle inputs and outputs differently. I mean, there's the Linux kernel, there's Microsoft Windows, there's you know what Apple's doing, there's all kinds of uh, exotic uh, operating systems. Um, and But all of them, you know, define... They implement this common standard, the TCP/IP, you know, protocols, uh, and that enables them to communicate with one another. And so that's essentially what we're trying to do with blockchains: is define the TCP of blockchain. We call it IBC, the Interblockchain Communication Protocol. Um, the standard is, is is quite far along. There's implementations. We expect it to go live, you know, hopefully later this year. Um, and we're looking at starting to connect up other other blockchains. You know, first those building using the Cosmos technology stack. Uh, but there's also significant work to integrate with Polkadot, and we're looking at you know building bridges to Ethereum and Bitcoin. And Polkadot so- became so big so fast. It did, yeah. That's crazy. I mean, so we we look at Ethereum, and um, everyone's still using it, right? You have a lot of other chains, Binance Smart Chain, Cosmos. You know, there's thousands of of, of chains now, and different types of blockchains. Is the goal for them to just all work together on, like in, in a system that you're talking about? Or will we continue to see chains come and go and then some of the other bigger ones just stay and grow? Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're in this period, this like nascent period where where none of the blockchain activity matters. Like it's all just What do you financial. mean? I mean, it's all just like speculation and arbitrage and memes and just like people trying to get rich. So then what do we get out of this then? Well, this is an intermediate period, right? Um, and and you probably go through these kinds of periods with any with any new technology. And I'm sure there, there's lots of analogs uh, in the past. But what we're trying to get towards is actually integrating some of this technology into real communities and actually helping helping real people. And you know that's where that's where I sort of you know shake my fist at DeFi. It's like, yeah, great, you've got another new you know DeFi casino, whatever. Um, what's it good for? It's good for for experimenting, for testing out new things. You don't want to do too much experimentation with real people, mm. uh, right? So, so it's good for uh, inventing new primitives, like all these new primitives that, that, they're, that are being experimented with, these automated market makers and these lending protocols and all these things are probably going to be really important in the future. And their particular instantiation, you know, it's for some, some people to try to get rich off the backs of others. Um, but- That's the hard part of differentiating the problem is like, so there's so many cool experiments that I'm like investing in and, and working with and you know, and I'm and I'm putting my money into a lot of these projects um, because I think it. I think DeFi is is fucking cool, but at the same time, it's uh, scary, uh, especially for someone like me who's been in the space for so long. So imagine everyone else, right? Yeah. Um, but just like being able to take things like collateralized loans and under collateralized loans and be able to trade them with each other, you know, just all these products on top of products. Like for example. Being able to like re-simulate the 2008, you know, subprime mortgage pr- uh, crisis on top of a blockchain. I see someone doing that. And like, that's really cool to see. Obviously, we know what like the end of that is going to be. But to see the simulation digitally and to try to like tinker with the different levels to see how things could have played out differently. I don't know. I think it's really cool. 
It's very cool. And I mean, what's happening is we're, we're reforming huge parts of the existing financial system on more transparent and more accessible infrastructure. And that's important because we're, we're eradicating barriers to entry. Um, you know, we're, we're making things that you had to work at a big bank on Wall Street or a hedge fund or something to have access to certain kinds of derivatives or contracts. Now anyone can, can write them and access them on the Ethereum blockchain, which is very important. But what's it all for? Like, you know, and, and the problem with the economy over the last, you know, few decades was that it became hyper financialized and, you know, all the value creation was completely abstracted from real world wealth and sustainability, right? And so these people making money by, Mm. you know, trading these crazy financial products, like they're not generating any real value in the world. It's just because, you know, the only way we know how to denominate value is in USD effectively, and the numbers going up, it looks like they're getting rich and, and, you know, they actually are able to spend that and everyone's getting poorer as a result, right? And so, you know, what would the worst possible outcome I could imagine is if DeFi just goes in that direction and just, you know, rebuild an exact model of the existing financial system slightly more transparently and slightly more accessible, right? Which is sort of what's happening. And don't get me wrong, transparency and accessibility are amazing. But, you know, if we're not careful, we need to actually things down to, like we were saying earlier, ecology, right? Like, you're taking shits, what are you going to do with the shit, right? Like, it's like the, what what was the... Oh, that's the best, that's a great, like continuation of your analogy it's like well, yeah like with the show up like what do you do with the shit yeah, now exactly what do you do with the shit right so oh uh, my god the engineers don't even think about that so like how do you even create a fake real world it's like now you have the shit the shit has to the shit in the real world does something like if imagine if we took the world that we live in today and we said hey manure doesn't work anymore like the world would probably just implode like like you know what i mean like one little change well, I mean, we, we sort of did that. We, you know, the, we, we started making uh, artificial fertilizer and now we've like uh, destroyed our soil and destroyed the oceans and destroyed all these waterways because right. we're like, oh, we can do better with this artificial thing. But like, I don't know when humans are going to catch on to the fact that we can't really do better than the natural world in most domains. Uh, especially oh my God. So it's so true. It's so true. So I'll give you that. You just gave the perfect, 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 perfect example. Um, in Florida, we have a big problem uh, with fertilizer and and rainwater runoff is that people, you know, we have grass and plants and you have all this fake chemicals and fertilizer. Just so you know, I use all organic products, uh, but most people don't because it's, it's more expensive. And so um, it runs off. And then every few years we have, for, you know, sometimes it's better or worse. We have this thing called red tide or blue, you know, blue green algae. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it's really, really bad. And yeah. it comes from all this chemicals and all the fertilizer and it's fucking up the water so how do we solve it it's you know no 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 seriously governor desantis all the president all the people come and they have all these we're going to earmark millions and 10 millions of dollars and we're going to figure out we're going to study that's great but you know who's solving the problem right now some guy invented something down the road and it cost him hundred dollars to make and he sells it for two hundred dollars and he comes to your house and all it is is just a bunch of cardboard and and paper built into this like fish hotel. He comes to your house and if you live on the water, he installs it under your dock. And then within a year, that one, I have one, is filtering 30,000 gallons of water a day. Wow. Because all the clams and all the oysters are all living on it now and all the fish have created. Right. A, so you said, we can't do better than nature. So right. here's the guy said, hey, I'm going to use nature. I'm not going to 
solve red tide. Now every, the city bought thousands of them. The city's putting them all over its own coastline. Right. Fucking cardboard boxes in the, in the water. Yeah. So you create a little bit of substrate, you know, to support the natural world's, uh, you know, inherent tendencies to thrive and, and it'll take care of the rest. So cool. So, so cool. And that's kind of like how uh, I look at blockchain. It's like that it is that cardboard box in a way, you know, goes into the water and then slowly takes a very